2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Try to encourage your hearts this morning with this. I, I got to confess before I even get into the lesson uh, that I know that I can't possibly cover everything that I need to cover, all right? That's just an automatic confession. And uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to spend as, as much time as necessary, um, but um, I'm also thinking about I, I really want to nail soul winning. Uh, that's going to be coming up here soon in some of these lessons that we're going to be dealing with. And, um, but maybe one, one day uh, soon, maybe I'll just cover some prophecy. You know, how many of you are interested in prophecy? You know, it's one of those things that always uh, really in the back of my mind is just like, we're, how's all this going to take place? How, how all of it fits where it needs to fit? And to be honest with you, it's, it's all throughout the Bible. And so to cover all of that in that short period of time is, 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 is almost impossible. It's one of those things that's probably had to take about three, three months in order to cover a prophecy the way it needs to be, be dealt with in detail. And so especially where Dan, Daniel and Revelation go hand in hand with each other. And uh, Zechariah chapter 14, um, you know, several places of scriptures we can go to for that. But anyway, that's for another time. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And... Uh, the Thessalonian church, it was a church that had been started for a short period of time. Paul went in, he preached as he always did. He went into the synagogues, he began to preach to the Thessalonian believers, or well, to the Thessalonians. They ended up accepting the gospel message. They received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. They began to try to form a church, you know, as Paul, as his manner was, he would confirm the uh, those who made a profession of faith, who wanted to make sure that they, they were uh, concreted, concreted there within the doctrine. And they would establish this church, and surely during that time, within the first week or two, the Jews would come in and they would cause a lot of dissension and a lot of trouble, and so much so that they would compel a guy, if you read over in Acts chapter 17 and 18, Acts, Acts chapter 18, I believe it is, they would take a guy by the name of Jason, he's there in Thessalonica, and bring him before the synagogue wanting to, to beat him and things like this. And uh, it was really a hostile environment. It wasn't, wasn't easy. And Paul wanted to really help them. Wanted to help them. Why? Because they, they were worried, you know, am I missing something? What's going to happen to those who are dead in Christ? You know, are they going to remain here on this earth? I mean, how's all this going to work out? And Paul's trying to uh, re, reestablish them in the faith because they were get, getting as in every, every place. You know, it's a dangerous place to be without the pastor. Because Paul tells him over in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he says, I know that after my departure, he's talking to the Ephesian elders, I know after my departure there come in grievous wolves, not sparing the flock. They're going to bring all kinds of heresies in and all kinds of dissension in, and it's not going to be good. But he's trying to establish them and trying to really focus them in the word. This is what I told you. This is what's going to happen. This is what the Bible says. And we all need to be as the Bereans. We, we ought to study the Bible to see if these things are so. And I always tell you guys this, and, and, and maybe I need to tell you more. You know, don't, don't just accept my word for it. You know, I, I love the fact that I have the privilege of being able to study for hours on end the Bible. That's a blessing to me. I, that's a privilege. 
but you ought not just to take my word for it. You ought to be able to study it for yourself. Uh, that way you ought to be uh, really settled in the faith. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. What happened was uh, after Paul left, he's down in Berea. He's trying to figure out what's going on in Thessalonica. People were sending letters and saying, Paul wrote this or Paul said this. And he said, we didn't say any of those things. That's, that's what he's getting at there. Don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled by spirit or word or letter as from us. He said, it wasn't what I penned as the day of, of Christ is at hand. Verse 3, let no man deceive you. By any means. We know who the deceiver is, Satan. We looked at that last week. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. He'll be influenced by Satan. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember, so, verse 3, in case I don't hit on this at the end of the sermon, verse 3, you see, don't let any man see, deceive you. Verse 5, remember, those are good things uh, that we ought to be doing. Remember ye not that while I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they shall believe a lie." You know, some people get upset about this. Why, why would God send anybody strong delusion? Doesn't, isn't God good and pure and right? Well, what happens is if you refuse the truth, you'll believe anything. You, you'll believe anything other but the truth. They, they've already hardened their heart against the truth. It's like Pharaoh. When Moses came and he began to, uh, Moses came in and he says, let my people go. And he said, I don't know your Lord. I don't know your God. He began to pronounce all these uh, plagues down upon the Egyptians, and he continued to harden his heart, refused the fact that there is a God, and uh, was punished for that. And so it's, it's not necessarily that, that God himself is purposefully deceiving those. It's just that they've hardened their heart so much that they don't want to believe the truth. And plus, with the Antichrist doing signs and wonders, you see all these false prophets on TV uh, Benny Hinn and the rest of them trying to do these signs and wonders and such. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. And so they'll be deceived by that. Verse, uh, verse 10, And with all deceitfulness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Again, there's your answer, verse 10. They, they receive not the, the, those things, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. In verse 11, for this cause shall God send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, and that they might be damned who believe not the truth, and that pleasure in unrighteousness, 
But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, here it is. This is what we need to do. Stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. The good word, of course, is God's word. The good work would be what God does through them. And thank the Lord for that. Let us pray and we'll get into the lesson for this morning. Heavenly Father, again, uh, I pray. I pray you would just help me to communicate this in a way that just really makes sense. Uh, there's so much confusion in the world, I don't need to add to that. I pray that you would just help me in this way. Lord, may you settle our hearts and establish us as you have here in your word, that we would be standing fast in the faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, there's a book in the Kingdom of Ice, a journalist Hampton Sides, he, he wrote a compelling account of the failed 19th century polar, polar expedition to the USS Jeanette. You know, what a name, Right. And uh, so he explains here, he says, Lieutenant DeLong, he, he uh, went out on this journey here on this boat uh, through these polar, polar circles here. He says, it serves as a cautionary tale about the hazards of misorientation, not because of faulty compass, but because of a mistaken map. DeLong's entire expedition rested on the picture of the unknown North Pole laid out in the ultimate deluded maps of Dr. August Henrik uh, Peterman. Peterman's map suggested the thermometric gateway through the ice had opened a vast polar sea on the top of the world, a fair weather passage beyond the ice. DeLong's entire expedition was staked on these maps. In other words, we know by looking at the, the, the globe, looking at maps according to the ones we have now, uh, it's not just one great big uh, ocean that's up on top. There's, there's a landmass that's up, up top. But according to this map, it said that they, it, it looked like there was a vast ocean uh, of ice and things like this, but mostly a, a, a thermometric gateway, as he called it. So it turned out as he was heading to, to a world that didn't exist. As perilous ice quickly surrounded the ship, sides recounts the team had shed its organizing ideas and all their unfounded romance and to replace them with the reckoning of the way the Arctic truly is. So he, he begins to put the way that it, it wasn't according to the maps. The maps were wrong. It's like the guy had never been there himself, so he didn't know what existed at that point in time. And he, he began to point out the way that it truly was. Our culture often sells us faulty, fantastical maps of the good life, painted with alluring pictures that draw us toward them. And all too often we stake the expedition of our lives on them, setting sail toward them with every sheet hoisted. And we do so without thinking about it because these maps work on our imagination and not our intellect. It's not until we're shipwrecked, until we realize that we've trusted in faulty maps. I like that illustration because that really pictures, gets to the heart of where we are in this world. You know, everybody that you, you, you see these days, very few of them are really preaching what they need to be preaching. It seems like many in the church have, have lost their way and, uh, I make that as a general statement. I'm not saying every church. I mean, there, there are a lot of good churches that are out there. 
but it seems like many are just falling prey to the way society is pulling us and drawing us into trying to look for this good life. You know, you hear of the name it and claim it preachers, you hear of the prosperity preachers, you hear of, of things that, uh, in sermons these days about having a good life. We know what's going to come. Why? Because the Bible tells us. And we've gotten away from the truth in many different regards. I seem to remember, it's been years gone by now, that there used to be a lot of preaching on the second coming of Christ. It used to be a heavy emphasis on, on the coming again and on the end times, particularly, especially the book of Revelations. Remember, soon after I got saved, there was a, a, a guy that um, I believe my mother was dating. I'm trying to put this together in my mind. But anyway, he came in, and I was talking to him at one time, and he says, you know, one of the things I, I want to learn about is the book of Revelation. Well, the guy, the guy was not saved to the best of my memory, and so uh, I thought to myself, well, you don't just jump into the book of Revelation, but that's what the world is, is saying. You know, we want to know more about this end times, and, and they've, they've misconstrued it because they're following Hollywood. They're following Hollywood. It was a good day when we were listening to, to prophecy and we were getting settled in the second coming of Jesus Christ. During this period of time, again, in, in, in that time of the like 1960s, 70s, 80s, you guys could tell me better than myself. I wasn't alive back then. But there was a lot of soul winning. There was a, a strong emphasis. We need to see people saved by the grace of God. The Lord Jesus could come at any time. And there was a zeal that we need to reignite once again that's been lost in the day and age in which you and I are living. It seems to me like we've, we've forgotten that the Lord is coming again. We've forgotten what the end times is going to look like. If you read through the book of Revelation and you see... All that's going to transpire. Thank God that we have 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, that we're saved from the wrath to come. And other passages of Scripture, it's not just that one. There are several passages of scriptures that lay that out that we, we are not going to be here in the tribulation if we've been saved. But can I tell you this? Those who are going to be alive or remain in that tribulation period, it's going to be a time such as never heard on the face of this earth. We need to be uh, saving them, as, as the book of Jude tells us, pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment that's been spotted by the flesh. We need to get back to those, those times once again and really be founded here upon uh, these truths. Again, there seems to be a shift going away from preaching on, on these, the truth of the second coming or even salvation. It's all, almost as if we're preaching on, you know, you do these steps and your life will be better. We need to get back to preaching about salvation, seeing people say about the grace of God. Near the end of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we won't for the sake of time. You see that Paul is saying in the last days there's going to be perilous times. I mean, people are going to be lovers of themselves, they're going to be boasters, heady, high-minded. They're going to have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That There are a lot of things that... The, they're going to be doing forbidding to marry. They're going to say that some things that you need to eat reminds me because Lent's going to be coming up very soon. And, uh, and the Catholic Church teaches you, you know, during that period of time, you've got to give up your meats and eat fish and other things like this. Uh, forbidding to eat certain meats, of course, we know are blessed by God, and yet that's what they're going to do. There are going to be several things that are going to be put out that the end times are going to be looking like 
and everything is pushing toward that one goal, and we understand that it, some of those things that we're seeing now, yes, it is bad. Yes, it seems like people are falling away. Yes, there is a deconstruction from the faith movement. Yes, we see several that are coming out of, uh, if I use the word CCM, you might not know what that means, contemporary Christian music. And it's the, the mixture of, of Christian lyrics with a worldly uh, pull and sway to it. Uh, but many of those music artists, if you could call them that, they, they are leaving the faith by droves and by numbers and saying, well, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And we're seeing this happening all, all the time, all around us. And, and more of these uh, people that the young people are looking up to, they're, they're leaving the faith by, by droves. Paul says at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 3, he, he encourages them, in verse 14 in particular, Paul preaching to young Timothy, he tells them, he says, but continue thou. And the things in which you both heard and learned of me, knowing of whom you've learned them. And he's telling him, Timothy, you need to be grounded in the faith. You need to be grounded in the word of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Again, we notice that, that Paul is emphasizing we need to be grounded in the word of God. It says again, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Again, be grounded in the word. There's an emphasis of Paul. Don't, don't listen to just what everybody is saying. Be grounded in the Word. Why? Because Antichrist is going to come and, and he's going to just sow the seeds of doubt and he's going to convince people that he is the Christ, but he's not the Christ. He's going to be the, the, the Savior. He's going to be in place of Christ. Literally, that's what Antichrist means. It means to be in place of. He's going to set himself up and and call himself a God, and, and there's going to be great apostasy that's going to be following. And so Paul says, stand fast. Jude tells us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, again, just trying to get us started into this mindset of what the end days are going to be looking like. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says the times going to come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. And they should turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Paul says that's exactly what's going to define the times when Antichrist is going to be uh, here on this earth, when he shall be revealed. They're going to turn their ears away from the truth. And they're going to be believing lies and fables and myths. We're already here. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So uh, let's, let's concentrate here in 2 Thessalonians. Again, if I bounce around, I apologize. But I'm trying to give you a full panorama view of what's going on here in, in, the, in these end times. Paul really lays out the program. For us. Verse 3, there's going to be an apostasy. It says, the day will not come except there come a falling away first. It's going to be a specific kind of apostasy. We know that there's apostasy going on already, but it'll be a very specific, very dramatic kind. And then at the same time, it'll be at the same time the demand of sin shall be revealed. And so there's going to be apostasy. 
unparalleled. There's going to be uh, the revealing of the Antichrist, and then there's going to be the appearing of Jesus Christ. And that really defines the times of those end times that we have before us. You may remember me referring to the words of, of Christ where he says, uh, those times will be like the days of the son of Noah. He says the, son of man, the times of the son of man coming are going to be such as the times of, of the coming days of Noah. We know in the days of Noah there were, was all kinds of wickedness and unbelief. I mean, Noah preached for 120 years. He was building that ark and trying to reach people and trying to preach to them faithfully. And God said in Genesis chapter 6, he says, the imaginations of the heart of men were just evil continually. That's how bad it was. Just evil continually. We also recognize, just as it was difficult for Abraham's nephew Lot, whose righteous soul was vexed day after day. Of course, we wouldn't know he was righteous by the way he lived, but... Peter tells us his righteous soul was vexed day after day because of the, uh, of the, the their filthy conversation. That's the word that Peter, Peter uses. He talks about their lifestyle and the way they conducted themselves, their filthy conversation and wickedness. Uh, and it was not easy for, for Lot to live during this period of time. And speaking of their lawless lifestyles, he, again, no, uh, Lot lived in Sodom, and it must have been hard for Noah to keep the faith that he continued to build the ark during that time. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Day after day, year after year, Noah building that ark and trying to put it together just as God said, watching the wickedness before and watching people falling away, knowing that earlier on, you know, looking back over his ancestors, Enoch walked with God. He had a great walk with God, and Enoch was the same one that preached in the book of Jude. He says, the Lord will come with ten thousands of his saints and judge this world for all of its wickedness. He, he could look back and he could see... Uh, Methuselah, you know, of course, the judgment came right after Methuselah passed away. But, he, you know, Noah walked with God, but he was like one of the last who was walking with God. People weren't walking with God, and he watched several throughout the course of his life, so much so that only him and his family were saved at the end of the day. And God rewarded him for his faith. Our passage this morning has a similar sense to it. It can be just as difficult for us to hold on to our faith when we see the society in which we, you and I are living. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your preaching? You used to see the churches filled and people were out there and they were preaching righteousness and all of a sudden you're watching the society, the nation in which you live. Again, we're seeing it. It's like they're dwindling in numbers and you say, well, it was COVID, it was this, it was that, it was that. No, God said in the last days there was going to be perilous times. And you watch people that you used to know sitting in the pews that they're not there any longer. That was like what Noah was faced with. They're not listening to what he has to say. And then they turn and they mock him and they, they ridicule him. And they, they are just a, a nation of unbelief. They're, their hearts are full of wickedness. There has not been, at least in my, my mind, okay, my, my, my perspective is only short because I've only been alive 41 years. But in that period of time, that period of time, I tell you, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. As far as people giving over to the drugs and alcohol and just turning away from the truth, the, the uh, spirit of Antichrist, uh, having no religion, uh, turning away from God, being atheists, that number is increasing day in and day out. It's over 29% of America who claim to be atheists. 
And that ought to trouble us. In the first letter to the Thessalonian church, Paul addressed some of these concerns. Again, they were dealing, they were watching those who, who, who were persecuting them and troubling them. And they thought that they were living in the end times. And Paul says, no, it hasn't happened yet. He comforts them concerning those who have already passed and gone home to be with the Lord. He says, no, they'll be caught up uh, with the Lord first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to be to the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he addresses a second letter in order to comfort them because they're still troubled. He says, are we, in this, are we in the tribulation? And Paul says, no. No, you want to know when that time comes. You're not going to be here to experience it. We're going to, be, we're going to be raptured out of here. We're not going to be here to experience, but this is what it's going to look like. And so he begins to write this letter to the Thessalonian church to, to comfort them. They thought that they had missed their, their, their home in heaven to be with the Lord. So we need to process these things that we read with, uh, with critical thinking and understand, discern the times in which you and I are living and connect them and compare them with the Bible, with what the Bible says. Not just, not just take the media's word for it, not just take the news word for it, not just take somebody else's word for it, but compare what you hear with what the Bible says, and we can see that there is a striking similarity. The subject is the day of the Lord, right? And the term has a wide range of meaning in the Old Testament. Normally when we think of the day of the Lord, we think of what? Judgment. Judgment. And usually judgment is uh, exercise. It's a time of divine intervention where there's judgment on wickedness, but yes, there's also the saving of those who are righteous at the same time uh, that we find here. In Joel chapter 2, for example, the day of the Lord is a time of darkness and gloom. We see that in the book of Joel where he pronounces, he says it's going to be an unparalleled time. But it's also a time of deliverance and salvation for the redeemed in verses 21 through 27 in Joel chapter 2. The day of the Lord depicts both a, a great tribulation and the coming of Christ at the same time. Of course, it's a separate period of time. Uh, it's, it's not happening at the same time. It's a judgment first and then Christ coming at the end of that tribulation period. But it all wraps up in the same idea that day of the Lord. So with this in mind, we, we understand what Paul is, is trying to get across to us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul portrays the day of the Lord as a day of darkness, a terrible time of God's wrath upon the unsaved, while at the same time he's saying, you know, you don't have anything to fear. Put on the armor of light. It'll be a picture of deliverance for the saints. And Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 4, When Christ comes in the clouds, all the redeemed will be gathered together unto the Lord. We'll save, be saved from the wrath to come. I try to reiterate, to try to, hit home so it just it's instilled within your memory and in your mind so it's not that i'm i don't know what i'm saying i'm just trying to instill it in your mind before judgment comes jesus comes essentially if i can lay it out it's just like that before judgment comes or after judgment comes jesus comes or no i had that reverse before judgment comes jesus comes and he takes his bride away there you go and that's exactly what we want as Christians. So, again, there's going to be a prevailing apostasy. There's going to be a personal antichrist who will be revealed, and then there will be the appearing of Christ. Again, there's, there's only so much that I can go into this subject because we're encompassing a lot of passages of Scripture that I won't have time to go into for, for now. 
Passages like Daniel 2, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, Matthew 24, Revelation 13, all these. I just possibly can't do it in one message. And so I'll, eventually I'll go back and I'll just deal with prophecy altogether. And uh, I'll give you my promise on that, okay? <laughs> uh, notice verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day should not come except there become a falling away first. So this is his prophecy, or the apostasy. The apostasy. Day of the Lord uh, here, again, we find in the Old Testament, it speaks abundantly of that day of the Lord, where the Spirit of God is going to be dealing um, in ways in which we, we don't have... Let me see if I can rephrase this. Because I don't want you to think that the Spirit of the Lord won't be active. People will be saved. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish male men who are virgins, real Jehovah's Witness, and they will be preaching the gospel. And there will be countless who get saved during that period of time. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, it's, it's going to be a time where, again, Satan's going to try to set up a kingdom through Antichrist and have all people worship himself and draw all men unto himself. That's why the apostasy, and that's why the revealing of Antichrist. And uh, So men will worship him and the beast and the false prophet, the unholy trinity. But the Holy Spirit, you know, it, it'll be active, just not in a way that it's day, we call this the day of grace, right? And there, when the church is brought up, you know, when we're raptured up out of here, so goes, the, so goes the Spirit of God. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit indwells the, the body of Christ, and He's using us to be witnesses unto Him so that all people might be saved. God, God is not willing that any should perish, but it all come to repentance. His strong desires that people might be saved, but then the church is caught up out of here, and then 144,000 will be His witnesses. But this is going to be this great apostasy that's going to be going on. And I know what you're thinking. You say, Pastor, it's already happening. Doesn't the apostasy happening now? John talks about, he says, in his day, the, the spirit of Antichrist was already at work. No, it's, it's going on now, but that's not what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is talking about. Maybe I should define it for you a little bit better. Apostasy just means a falling away from the faith. It's used here, it's used in... Um, Acts chapter 21, verse 21, where it talks about how uh, they, they were upset with Paul. Paul was going around and he was preaching the gospel, saying that all men should, and would be saved, and it wouldn't be through the keeping of the law of Moses caused the Jews to be upset. And he's saying, well, you, you, you're, you're apostatizing, would be the word that we would use. Um, he uses the word, um, what is it, falling away, forsaking. That's the word he uses there in Acts 21, 21. He forsakes Moses. He, he apostatizes. He turns away from the law of Moses. Actually, what Paul was doing, he was you know, uh, looking to the fulfillment of the law of Moses in Jesus Christ, but that's what they accused him of. He says, you're apostatizing, Paul, from the faith. You know, as a Pharisee, that's what you used to believe. You used to keep the law. And that's the idea, is to turn away from, is to rebel against, is to turn against. And this is what the, the, the falling away, this is what the apostasy really means. It's, it's going to be this apostasy instead of Christianity that we find here. And yes, we, we see it all over the place. We find it, uh, I'm going to turn back to First Timothy chapter 4. Well, turn forward to First Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3. 
It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some, uh, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. When I read those verses, particularly in verse 3, I can't help but to think of the Catholic Church. Why? Because their priests forbid to marry. They call it, they say, well, we're, just, we're sacrificing for the good of God. That's what they call it. But that's what they say. That's what the end times is going to be uh, like. They're going to forbid to marry and abstain from meats. Again, Lent. You know, I can't help but make the connection there. Uh, and it seems very apparent. There's going to be a departing from the faith. A departing from the faith. The apostasy uh, is alluded to in Peter. It's alluded to in several other passages of Scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says there's going to be false teachers coming in who, who crept in unawares. Bring in heresies. In Jude chapter 3 and 4, again, he speaks of, he says uh, that we should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. John warns in his epistle about the Antichrist who had went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would not, no doubt, have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifested. They were not all of us. Who is he speaking about? Those who had the spirit of Antichrist. Those who turned away from the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. So we see the ideas of departing from the faith, forsaking the truth, and turning away from Christ, and to be on a widespread scale. It's going to be essentially a lifeless religion. We say, Pastor, it seems like uh, Revelation is quite a lively, lively time. You know, we see the earthquakes, we see wars, we see rumors of wars, we see the abomination of desolation, everything that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24. Exactly. It's going to be a lively time, but it won't be a lively time because of the Spirit of God working in the hearts and lives uh, of those who are going to fall prey to the deceivableness of Antichrist. And essentially, they'll have a dead religion. Essentially, they'll have the devil's religion. And Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He says, I, I confess to you, it's already at work. Even now, in the day and age in which we live. Again, we see a lot of the things that Jesus talked about already. We, we already see wars and rumors of wars, don't we? We already see famines and earthquakes. Everybody tells me every time an earthquake happens, Pastor, did you hear about that earthquake in Japan? Did you hear about that earthquake in Indonesia? Did you hear about this earthquake here and there? Uh, the, 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 the Lord is coming. Yes. Tsunamis, yes. Famines, yes. Pestilences, COVID, yes. Anti-Semitism, yes. All these are defining markers of the tribulation period. And thank God that I'm not going to be there to see it. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. And that's what I'm trying to say. We're seeing the effects of it now, but it's going to be a hundred times worse a hundred times worse when that time comes around. Some famous people who have left Christianity, uh, I don't even know if they were a part of Christianity in the first place. 
But we know like John Travolta, he, he went into Scientology. Oprah Winfrey. Uh, who knows what she believes anymore. Katy Perry, she was a pastor's kid. She left Christianity. Uh, Joshua Harris, the one who wrote, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, he left Christianity. Paul Maxwell, who wrote for Desiring God, John Piper's uh, ministry, uh, he left Christianity. These are high-profile people. Again, we're seeing the effects of people apostatizing already. Already. I I told you I wasn't going to get through this. I already see my time is very near. Let me just encourage your hearts, and I want to hit this again. I'm going to try to continue this lesson next week. All right, so we'll talk about the Antichrist, and we'll talk about the appearing of Christ. But I want to really highlight to you in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse these verses, chapter two, verse three. Let no man deceive you. Let no man deceive you. Jesus says in Matthew twenty-four, there's going to be many who say, "Here's Christ, and there's Christ." You've seen it in your day. There's people that claim to be Christ in the Philippines. Claiming to be a Christ. There's been a guy in London. There's been other people in America who've claimed to be the Christ, and he's not. Don't let any man deceive you by any means. In in verse 3, in verse 5, he says, Remember ye not when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Remember what you've been taught. Verse 15, stand fast and hold your traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Again, I want to continue this next week. I don't have time to get into the rest of it. But isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? I hear people all the time, they get so distraught. Pastor, it's just so horrible. I don't know what they we're going to do. They have a pessimistic attitude. It's, oh, it's so bad. Hey, rejoice. Let's get on fire. Let's see people saved as much as we can. Let's let us be excited about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us look for that blessed hope. The Bible tells us that we ought to be purifying ourselves and living uh, a life that's getting ready for His coming. Not just being lackadaisical and saying, well, I'm just, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Paul tells them over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I hear some of you, you're not even working. It's like, that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's, what he t- that's my terminology. That's paraphrasing. This is not good. You need to be working for the coming of Christ. It's soon. I hope this is an encouragement to you as we look forward to next week. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that the time is going to be dark. We know there's going to be apostasy. Many will depart from the faith. Let us be faithful and serving you, and seeing people saved by the grace of God. Help us to remember these truths and settle them in our hearts, to not be soon shaken in mind. Lord, we don't have any reason to be upset by what we see. We have every reason to rejoice, because every sign that we see, every, every indication says it could be today. It could be today. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.